I was reflecting back as I was thinking about Graduate Recognition Day, and it was, it's now going on 17 years since I graduated from high school, not a long time. Some of you are celebrating uh, your uh, reunions uh, in uh, a little different terms than that, maybe a little more recent, maybe a little more distant, but uh, maybe you think back and you remember the time when you graduated from whether it be high school or a particular institution or, or grade school or, uh, or maybe uh, uh, some kind of trade or whatever that you got. And uh, I think back on my high school graduation, and, and it was to be a very special time. I was graduating from Pleasure Ridge Park High School in Louisville, Kentucky, and many of the schools, particularly the big schools in Louisville, get to graduate at Freedom Hall. And, of course, Freedom Hall, up until a couple of years ago, was the home of the Louisville Cardinals, and, I mean, that's like Mecca. You know, I mean, that's – I know you feel the same way. <clears throat> I know you do. Um, you know, and, um, and anyway, so that was going to be a very special time. You know, you get to walk in all the red and black. My school colors at PRP were red and black. I mean, it was just God was, you know, and so anyway, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so, so I was geared up to graduate at Freedom Hall in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was the class president, so I was going to get to give a speech. Now, you know I like to talk, so that was right up my alley, and I was, yeah, amen, and so, <clears throat> so anyway, um, so I was excited about that, but I wound up having to miss my high school graduation. I was also on the baseball team, and we were playing at the same time in the state championship game that year. And so for me, the choice was pretty easy. You know, go, go sit through a bunch of boring speeches and, uh, and wear a funny hat or wear a real baseball hat and go play for the state championship. No, no brainer for me. So I missed my high school graduation. A few days later, me and... And the guys on the team that were seniors, about 10 of us, we graduated separately in the, in the gym at school. It was not nearly as glamorous. But, uh, but I remember the speech, to some degree, what I was going to give, some inspirational words. And, of course, they told me not to mention the name of Jesus. And I, I was, oh, you know, okay. And I wrote all that stuff in anyway and was going to say it. And what are they going you know, to do? And so, uh, so anyway, I thought, well, you know what? If I had the opportunity to do it again, what would I say to those who are just getting started? If you were to be able to give a speech, a commencement address, what would you say? Maybe you've sat through some of those and you think, well, you know, well, that's great, but that's unrealistic. You know, that sounds nice, but no way that's going to happen. What would you say to those who are just getting started? I believe today, and, and, it, and it's interesting how the Lord works all of this out, I'm, I'm simply going to continue in our series on the book of Mark, and, and what we'll see this morning through the scripture we'll look at, I believe is a timely word as we honor our graduates today, a timely word for them as they are, in a sense, just getting started. I believe it's also a challenging word to those of us who are here today who may need, in some ways, to start over. Maybe you look back and you say, I, I may not be graduating today, uh, being honored as a graduate from high school or college, but, but I know there's some starting over that needs to happen. I need to get started again. And I believe it's also going to be a convicting word to those of us who have influence in the lives of young people, which includes all of us here, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or simply a member or attender of our church, we all have influence over young people. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1, book of Mark chapter 1, verse 16. What we've seen so far is Jesus launching his ministry. 
Uh, he is, uh, he's, he, we've seen the launch pad, the guidance systems for what will guide him through his ministry. Last week, we looked at the message of, of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is Lord and calls us to repentance and faith as a result of that. And this, this morning, what we'll see is Jesus demonstrating his lordship as he calls his first disciples, and we'll see some evidence of what their true repentance and faith was all about. Look with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As he, that's Jesus, was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This may be a familiar passage to some, and maybe you've heard this story. And uh, you know, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the old uh, rendition of that. <clears throat> but uh, maybe, maybe this is familiar to you, and it can go in one ear and out the other, and I surely hope not this morning. But today what we'll get is a clear picture of when Jesus shows up on the scene preaching repentance and faith in him as the Messiah. We'll see some evidence of that today. Here's what that really looks like. The Bible, of course, tells us <clears throat> excuse me, that we were created to honor and to glorify God. And yet, because of our sin, we are unable, incapable of doing that. We cannot honor and glorify God because of our sin. We need a way back to God, and we cannot make it for ourselves. And so God, out of His love and His grace, has sent Jesus to die for us to make the way back to Him so that through Jesus Christ and Him alone, we can once again please and glorify God. He offers a free gift of salvation, but it's not received through anything that we can do in and of ourselves. It's received only through repentance and faith, turning to God away from sin in faith in Jesus Christ. We see that in the Scripture. Some of us may think, well, you know, I've already done that. Maybe that's just the end. I made a decision years ago to give my life to Jesus Christ and that's sort of it, as far as you know, Christianity. But I believe really that the Bible plays, plays this thing out and that, yes, there is a moment of conversion, absolutely, from death to life in Christ Jesus, but that's not the end of it for us as Christians. What then should our lives look like as a result of our faith, our repentance, the receiving of the grace of God? What should our lives look like? That's what we see here in the lives of these first disciples, Jesus calling them to follow him, calling them to discipleship, and we get a picture of what that should really look like. And so the truth that Jesus presents to them, what we see play out in their lives in this short passage, is the truth that I want to present to you and challenge us with today. It's what those who are just getting started need to know, it's what those who need to start over need to know, and it's what those who have influence in the lives of young people need to know. It's a simple truth. Leverage your life for the cause of Christ. If you're a young person, you're just getting started. If you're a person who needs to start over, if you're a person who has influence in the lives of young people, remember this simple challenge and this simple truth today. Leverage your life for the cause of Christ. If I could give a commencement address, could stand before graduates and say anything to them whatsoever, what should your life be about? It would be this simple statement. Leverage your life the cause of Christ. We'll look at what that meant for the first disciples and how we're called to the same thing. I'll tell you what's not required. You may say, well, <laughs> if I'm going to do that, what does that mean? 
yeah, that sounds great, leverage my life for the cause of Christ. Well, that's exciting. It's almost like an adventure I'm going to go on. And here I graduate from high school or college, and I'm looking for some inspirational statement. And that sounds really good, but what really does that mean? I'll tell you what's not required when it comes to that. What's not required is a particular level of education. The disciples, the Bible records, amazed people because it says they were uneducated, untrained. They didn't have any particular level of education. Whether you graduate with a Ph.D. one day or not does not limit you and it does not guarantee that you will leverage your life for the cause of Christ. You don't have to have a particular level of education. Unfortunately, I believe there are many people, maybe even here in our church today, who because you don't have a, a specific degree, maybe you didn't graduate from high school, maybe you didn't graduate from college, maybe you don't have a seminary degree and you figure, I, I'm useless for the cause of Christ because I don't have the credentials. I don't have any kind of credibility whatsoever. Let me tell you the good news. Neither did the disciples. They had no degree. They had no training. They had no education. You know what they had? They had Jesus Christ. And He Himself was enough. If you want to leverage your life for the cause of Christ, don't count on your education or lack of it. That does not guarantee anything and it doesn't prevent anything particular level of education is not required. What's also not required is a particular standard of living. You look here in this passage. They were casting their nets into the sea, verse 16, since they were what? Fishermen. I don't know how much money fishermen made back then, but they weren't considered to be part of the elite in the society. It doesn't require a particular standard of living for you to leverage your life for the cause of Christ. You say, well, if I had more money, I'd give more money. If I had more... More, more stuff, you know what, I, I'd be able to leverage more of it for the cause of Christ. Jesus would go on to call the rich and the very poor. A particular standard of living is not required. So if you're a graduate this morning and you're launching out into your life or you're a person who says, you know, I'm dissatisfied with how I'm leveraging my life for the cause of Christ, it has nothing to do with your standard of living. Nothing at all. It requires no amount of, of salary. And no amount of salary can limit what God can do through you. It also does not require a particular social status. One of the lies in our society is that you have to have a particular level in order for people to listen to you. These guys were fishermen. The only people they got to talk to were the folks in the boat and the fish. And yet they would go on to preach the gospel to thousands. No particular social status is needed. Fishing was honorable, but it wasn't glamorous. Jesus would go on to portray himself as a shepherd, a dirty, thankless, seemingly meaningless job. No particular social status for Jesus and his disciples, but they changed the world. What's also not required is a particular job or vocation. Jesus called people from all walks of life and used people in all vocations for his cause and his kingdom. Just because you've gotten out of high school or out of college or you may be in a career now doesn't necessarily mean that that guarantees or prevents you from leveraging your life for the cause of Christ. There's no particular job that's required. Now, I say all that because sometimes we believe the lies that I have to have a certain amount of money. I have to be respected at a certain level. I have to have a certain level of education. I have to be employed in a certain kind of job in order to be used of God. In order to have God use me in a specific way, I have to have this, 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 and this. And until I can get there, well, I guess 
God's not going to do anything with me. The Bible plainly shows us that's simply not true. So what then is required in the leveraging of your life for the cause of Christ? What did Jesus call these guys to do? What does it mean to leverage your life for the cause of Christ? Look in verse 17. He comes to them, Simon and Andrew, and what does he say? Verse 17, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And what happens? Immediately they what? Left their nets. I'll tell you what is required, and that is what Jesus wants, and that's unconditional attachment to him. You want to leverage your life for the cause of Christ? Follow that command. Follow me. And immediately it says they left their nets. They're to follow closely to him. Unconditional attachment. You say, well, yes, I want to follow the Lord, but. Yes, I want to follow the Lord, but, you know, first I need to do this. Yes, I want to follow the Lord, but I'm going to take care of all of this first. Unconditional attachment. I think some people want to follow the Lord, but just close enough to where they can feel good. Feel like they've got, as the old statement goes, a little fire insurance against hell. Some people want to follow the Lord just to kind of get a warm, fuzzy feeling when they come to church or they're around church people. They like that and they feel better for 12 or 24 hours and that's about as close as they want to get. But the call to follow Jesus is not the call to warm fuzzies. It's not the call to fire insurance. It's a call to follow closely. These guys, when they left their nets, were opening themselves up to Jesus and you know what he would see? He'd see all their faults, all their hang-ups, all the stuff they deal with. He'd see all their doubts. He'd see their heart and their minds and their emotions. And he'd see where they hesitated. And he'd see where they were impulsive. Jesus would see it all because they would follow closely. And yet through the whole time, what he was doing was just like a sculptor. He started lopping off the big parts and cutting a part off here and molding and shaping them into the men that he wanted them to be. The call is to follow closely, not just to follow from a distance. Jesus, through that, will stretch you. He will grow you. He will challenge you. He will sometimes make you a little bit angry or frustrate you, but all the time Jesus is carving you and molding you and shaping you into the person he wants you to be. They we're called to an unconditional attachment. Then look at verse 18. It says, immediately, and I love that word, they left their nets. And then if you look over in verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Two different episodes here of him calling different disciples and the response is immediate. There was a price to be paid, though, in that immediate response. These guys were to leave their nets their livelihood. Two of these guys leave their father in the boat. Imagine the scene for just a second. Jesus walks up on the scene. There's some evidence that maybe they had interaction with him before. That's been debated a little bit. But he walks up, he calls them and says, come follow me. I've got a new mission for you. Here they are mending their nets, fixing them so that they can go back out for another catch. Dad's there in the boat with the guys that he's hired, and his two best guys leave. I don't know if you have people who work for you. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever employed folks before. But if that were to happen to you, especially from two of your sons, that would be a little bit unnerving. 
might make you a little bit frustrated. Where are you guys going? What, what's going on? Why are you going to follow this guy? He doesn't even have a job. Well, what does he do? He's a traveling preacher. Well, I mean, come on, what, what's going on? And yet, immediately, they paid the price. They were willing to follow him, leaving behind their businesses, their families even, their security, their safety. I want you to know that as a graduate, as a person who's just starting off, there will be times when you will have to turn something down you will have to leave something behind because it's inconsistent with your commitment to Jesus Christ. There are folks here today, I guarantee you, if we could poll the audience, who are caught up in things right now that you don't know how to stop because you never left the nets, so to speak, and followed Jesus. And now you're caught in a web that you don't know how to fix because it's all inconsistent with your walk with Christ. But at one point you said, I don't really know, and you compromised. These guys would have compromised if they had stayed with their nets. And instead, their commitment to Christ was such that they said, no matter what, we'll follow Jesus counting the cost. There will be business deals that you'll be offered, things that you'll be able to do that would compromise your integrity. And it's in that moment you have to make a choice. Will you follow Jesus and pay the price? Or will you sacrifice what you believe? There'll be relationships that you'll want so badly to work out, but you'll know from the Scripture, from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they're not right, and there will be a choice to be made. Some of us can say, I remember that, and I made the right choice, or I, I made the wrong choice. Following Jesus is costly. We have the lie in our world today that if you follow Jesus, then it just all works out. Everything's great. Everybody likes you. Your boss is totally cool with you all the time. You'll never have another problem. You'll always have great friends, and they'll always be there for you. Nothing in your family will ever happen that will throw you for a loop. And yet, we see from the outset of Jesus calling disciples that it's costly. There's a choice to be made, a line to be drawn a divider to be raised. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's costly. But I guarantee you these guys would say at the end of their journey with Jesus, yes, it was costly, but it's worth it. Because they gained Jesus. Not all the stuff the world has to offer, but Jesus himself. These guys learned about unconditional attachment, about paying the price. And I believe they also learn when Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people, and they leave their nets and follow him. Another translation says they went away and followed him. I believe they learned very quickly to throw away their GPS. Anybody got a GPS in your vehicle? Anybody got one? Raise your hand if you do. Raise your hand if you're absolutely on a trip addicted to the thing like I am. Anybody? All right, some of you don't want to admit that. But I, I, listen, I both hands up for me. Nancy gets on me because I'll... And we'll drive to Paducah or something. I go to visit a hospital. I know exactly where it is. It's not like it's hard for me to find, but I use a GPS. I just like looking at my little car, my plane or tank or whatever I'm using on there. Move, you know, move. I'm like, oh, I'm gaining ground. This is amazing. And then I like seeing exactly when I'm going to arrive. And then I try to beat it. I'm like, I got you this time, GPS. You know, I mean, that's, listen, I don't know if you're, maybe, right, maybe you're not, you know, like that. Some of you are, okay? And it's Okay. All right, it's okay. Now i got some friends. All right. <clears throat> but you know, the, the addiction, the reliance on the GPS, most of the time when I take a trip and I'm using GPS, I don't look around at anything else. 
I am focused on getting there because that little tank is moving, and here I go. My little plane or boat, you know, i got all kinds of little things I can be. And I just move right along the road. And I see that time there, and it tells me, I, you know, I'm going to be there in 30 minutes. No, no, it's 29, and that's when I'm getting there, you know. And, and, and I rarely look around, and I never deviate from where the GPS tells me to go. And I'll tell you this, in the times that I have, I'm just, I get all lost and crazy, and, you know, and it, it starts to reroute, and, you know, and all that stuff, recalculating. And it does all that, and, you know, I turn the voice off because that just drives me nuts. And so <clears throat> I don't want to hear that voice in my sleep. But, but you know, the, the truth is when you follow Jesus, these guys learned, and I believe that we must do the same thing. You just throw away the GPS. Does that mean that you don't make any plans for your life? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being unwise and saying, well, I'll just get up tomorrow, and if God tells me to go to work, well, then I'll go to work. But if I don't sense a call from God to go to work, I'm staying at home. That's not what I'm saying. We got all this on recording, all right? So if, if you question anything, I'll just play it back for you next week. But, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is in your plans, in your strategy, in your goals for life, essentially what you have to do is say, you know what, this is what it appears like my journey will be. But I'm tossing the GPS out the window because if Jesus says to take this exit at this time, then that's where I'm going. And if he says to take this detour, then that's where I'm going. Did these disciples totally know what they were getting into? No way. They didn't have Mark chapter 2. They didn't have it. They didn't even have Mark chapter 1. They didn't even know they were going to be in there. They had no idea what they're getting into. But they followed Jesus anyway because they believed in who he was. They went anyway, even when it got dangerous. Now, I've heard it said that uh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I believe sometimes that's true. But I also believe that sometimes the most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. There are times when, uh, <clears throat> when you can mistake God's will for safety. You say, well, this is the safe option. This seems to be the best path. And you get all the advice you can. Everybody says, well, that's what I would do. Well, that sounds good to me. Well, you're going to make a lot of money, and it seems like there's some security in that. But you just know there's something else that God has called you to, and, and you mistake sometimes God's will for safety. You realize that Jesus called Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water in the middle of a storm, in the center of God's will, on the water, in the middle of the storm, not necessarily place to be. God called Abraham to go to a land that he didn't even know anything about, leaving behind all of his family. God told Moses to demand the release of his people in front of a Pharaoh who could have killed him on the spot. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to throw away the GPS and venture into the unknown. And because of that, some say, I don't want any part of it. I've got to know exactly where I'm going, exactly what it's going to be, so that I can beat my time on the GPS. I've got to know. And it's because of that that we follow Jesus, maybe from a distance. We sort of hang around, and we're part of the bandwagon, so to speak, but we never truly get to know his heart. You realize that walking on water for Peter was dangerous, but I don't know anybody else who's done it. Going to a foreign land for Abraham was unnerving, but God promised and came, came through on his promise that he would be the father of nations. Standing before that king, I'm sure, made Moses a little nervous, but he also got to, to witness the parting of the Red Sea. 
calling of the disciples that they answered that day was to one of the unknown, but they were witnesses to things that we cannot even imagine. Jesus himself knew it would be hard. He prayed for his disciples and prayed for us in John chapter 17 that the Lord would protect us, the Lord would help us and guide us and give us strength because he knows it's difficult. He knows the road is not always easy to understand. It wasn't for the disciples and it won't necessarily be for us. But if you're just getting started, if you need to start over or if you have influence in the lives of young people, I challenge you, remain open to what Jesus may want you to do for his sake. Remain willing to go off-road, so to speak, if that's where he calls you. Remain alert to all of your surroundings. Don't miss the journey along the way as you travel down the road. They were called to leverage their lives through that unconditional attachment, through paying the price, and through, in one sense, just throwing away the GPS. But leverage their lives not just toward a great cause, but toward the cause of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things you can leverage your life toward. You can have unconditional attachment toward a lot of things. Pay the price for a lot of things. Just venture through life with no GPS, but if it's not leveraged for the cause of Christ, then it all means nothing. Jesus tells them, here's the cause of Christ. Follow me, verse 17, and I will make you fish for people. Jesus himself would later say that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. We'll see a little bit later in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus will say, I came to call sinners. I came to be with these people and to rescue them from sin. That's the cause of Christ. I will make you fish for people. If you've been around here very long, you know I don't know a lot about a lot. Don't you have to say amen about that. But, <clears throat> but I don't know certainly a lot about fishing. I'm not a fisherman. I think I've been fishing maybe twice in my life. Um, for those who are, I admire you. It's just not particularly my thing. I just, I'm not, uh, that's just not what I grew up doing. But I know we do have some great fishermen here in our church. We, we have some who maybe are even planning to go out today. I mean, the weather's, the weather's nice. Maybe the water conditions are great. I don't know. I mean, I, this may be terrible condition for fish. It shows you how much I know. But I know we've got some great fishermen in our church who, are, who do an excellent job at catching fish. You've got the right equipment, you've got the right boat, you know where the right spots are, you know when the weather's right and all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm sure that it's frustrating, this is part of the reason why I don't fish, uh, that, that you stand out there sometimes or sit on your boat all day long and you catch nothing or just junk. You reel it in and you get excited and there's really nothing there. Or you just stand there all day long and nothing seems to be happening. There are other guys, I'm sure, that you see, and they have no clue what they're doing, and they're just reeling them in. What in the world? You know, I'm out here knowing what I'm doing and, and all of that. Uh, the truth about fishing, though, is that if you really want to catch the biggest, most exciting fish, you can't just stand on the shore and do it. You've got to get out in the water. Sometimes you have to get out where it's really, really dangerous out in the water where you can even get hurt just a little bit. I know some folks who have been deep sea fishing. <clears throat> Anybody been deep sea fishing? No, a few. Yeah, all right, all right, very good. There's a show now called Deadliest Catch. I don't know if you watch this show on Discovery Channel, but here's the premise. <clears throat> it's, it follows fishing boats who are, who are doing crab fishing on the, the Bering Sea around Alaska. 
Here's what the, the show description says. The show emphasizes the real danger to the crew on the decks of these boats as crews ply their trade while ducking heavy crab pots swinging into position, maneuvering hundreds and thousands of pounds of crab across a deck strewn with tripping hazards and leaning over the rails to position pots for either launch or retrieval as gale force winds and waves four to five times taller than the average man constantly lash over the deck. Who's signing up? Not me, all right? I'm not doing that. The series also documents the dangers of even being on a boat in the Bering Sea crab grounds in the midst of some of the coldest and stormiest waters on earth, where even the most minor problem becomes complex and requires considerable ingenuity to solve when the nearest port of any kind is hundreds of miles away. And there are people who sign up to go do that. Maybe it's because they get on TV, but I wonder, I wonder if it's because there's something inside of them that's just drawn to that exciting opportunity of fishing in some of the most treacherous water to say, you know what, that's where I leverage my skills. That's where I go after it, is right there. I believe the same can be, can be said, the same is true when you're fishing for people. That the most exciting fishing for people is done out in the deep water where people have real needs. You realize in our community, even in Murray and Galloway County, there are people who are dealing even now with some things that we could not imagine. And you say, oh, no, no, I can imagine. You know why? Because they're here even today. Folks who deal with depression on a regular basis. Folks who deal with, with, with the issues of marriage and divorce. Folks who deal with children who are running from God and rebelling against them. Folks who deal with all kinds of sickness and disease. And Jesus says, I've called you to fish for people. The most exciting kind of fishing for people is done with those who have the deepest needs. Those where the waters are the deepest. And yes, it's a little dangerous. And yes, it's a little messy. But part of the mission that God has given us is to partner with Him in rescuing those people from impending judgment. It's the greatest calling that we have. We can't wait on the church to do it. We can't expect that someone else in, in the church here at Elm Grove, well, they'll take care of that can't wait on the pastor. I love you very much, but don't wait on me to go out and to reach the people God has put around you. I can't do it. I don't work where you work. I don't know the people that you know. I love them, and I want them to come to Christ, but I'm not in their lives like you are. Don't wait on me. You can't wait on someone else. You say, well, that person's a Christian. Maybe, maybe God will use them. Maybe they'll open their mouth. The truth is that each of us, each of us have to act on the responsibility and the mission that God has given to us individually to fish for people. As I said, these disciples, they didn't have a great education and training in how to do that. They didn't have a great background in that. They didn't fully understand what Jesus was talking about when he said it. They weren't chosen from among the religious leaders. They were just ordinary people like you and me who answered the call of Christ and went into the deep waters to partner with Jesus on his mission. Jesus said that he would make them fishers of men, so they weren't on their own. They didn't have to figure it all out. You think about good fishermen, and you realize what Jesus was going to build into them. Good fishermen are patient. Jesus would teach them to be patient with people, because fishing takes time. Good fishermen persevere. They go from place to place over and over and over again. They never give up. Jesus would build that into them as they fished for people. 
Good fishermen have a, have a good instinct, a good sense of timing, knowing when to drop the line, when the weather's right, when the water conditions are perfect. They also have courage in the face of danger, acting in spite of their fear and their hesitations. Jesus would build all of that into them. And not only that, but he would model for them how to fish for men. You think of the ministry of Jesus. He's available to people. You want to know, how, how can I be an impact? How can I fish for people where I am? Follow the model of Jesus. He's available, always open to those who came to him for comfort, for his healing. You realize that no one has ever been busier than Jesus Christ? Think about it. Read the Gospels. How much does he sleep? How many days off does he get? It's the Savior of the world. Let me tell you, he doesn't sleep much, and he never gets a day off. People always wanting him. But you never find him in the busyness of his schedule saying, you know what, I, no, I don't have time for you. Sorry. I'm not saying that you should just overburden yourself, but what I'm saying, Jesus was available. He also he showed no favoritism. The poor and the outcast had just as much access to him as the rich and the famous. He also was totally sensitive to the needs of the people around him. If you listen to God's Spirit, Around the people in your family, the folks you work with, God will make you the same way, sensitive to their needs. And he'll prompt you when it's time to do something. Jesus also showed love and tenderness to those that he sought to win. You think of the story of the woman at the well. Love and tenderness to a person, a woman who was in sin. A woman who by every account was an outcast in her society, and that's who Jesus loved and was tender toward. And I think... Uh, that maybe even above everything else, the strategy Jesus had that we ought to adopt both as individuals and as in a church, you know what he did? He went to where the fish were. He, he went to where the fish were. In a few weeks, we'll get to Mark chapter 2, and, and the question will be posed about Jesus. Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus will say simply, that's who I came to save. Hello? He went to where the fish were without getting on any kind of soapbox whatsoever. I believe that we as a church and we as Christians have to be aware that times have changed. That we cannot any longer simply hang up a sign and say they're, they'll come to us if they need us. We're here for them. Church attendance on the whole in our country and our world is on major decline. People no longer look to the church first for their help. What does that mean for us? Do we give up and throw up our hands and say we don't know what to do? No, we go where the fish are. And so you as an individual, where you work, feel sent by our church to go be a missionary in that field. We as a church need to strategize and figure out ways how can we go to where the fish are. Because if we're simply waiting for them to come to us, I got a feeling that we're missing the point of Jesus Christ and we're going to miss the fish as they pass by. I told you this was a message for people who are just starting out. So I want you to leverage your life for the cause of Christ. No matter what you do for a living, no matter where in the world you'll live, no matter how much money you'll make, no matter how successful you might become, None of it, none of it matters if it's not leveraged for the cause of Christ. It's just stuff. It's just an accumulation of stuff. 
told you this is also a message for those who need to start over again. Maybe you recognize today you've just been wasting time coasting through life and you recognize I've got to leverage my life for the cause of Christ. So determine today what you can use that God has given you to reach other people who desperately need to see and to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your job. God has put you in a position of influence. Maybe it's your connections that he's given you, and somehow you can use those for his glory. Or maybe it's your money, or your location, where you live, or your stage of life, or your free time, whatever it may be. How can you use those things to leverage them for the cause of Christ? And I told you it's also a message for those who have influence in the lives of young people, for our parents, for our grandparents, and for our church. This, this goal, this leveraging of, of lives for Jesus Christ has to be our goal when we relate to our children, to our grandchildren, and to the young people God has in this church. It, it's not enough to train them just to be good people who can hold down a job or who go to the polls every November and vote or, or who do good things for their neighbors or who stay out of trouble or who make good grades. Those things are all good. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not enough to train our children, our grandchildren, just for those things. We've got to model, we've got to teach a love for Jesus and for others that compels us and compels them to leverage our lives for the cause of Christ. So in our homes, if you're a parent and you've got young children, maybe here's a new goal. Model and teach leveraging your life for the cause of Christ for the children that live in your home. When you're around maybe your grandchildren, at every opportunity that you have, and I know I'm sure as a grandparent it's different, obviously. I see my parents relate to my children. I know their relationship is different than it is with me. But at every opportunity, grandparents, I encourage you, plead with you, help your grandchildren see that you've leveraged your life for the cause of Christ. and Teach them and encourage them in those things. And then as a church, this has got to be what we model and what we teach. It's a messy kind of ministry. Yes, it is. It's a little scary because we don't know what Jesus will call our children, our graduates to go and do one day. We don't know. But this is what Jesus has called us to do, to model and to teach these things. So let's set the example. Let's be a sending church. And let's train our children toward that end, of leveraging their lives for the cause of Christ. So today and this week, I want you to ask the Lord through one simple prayer, God, what is it? In what area do you want me to leverage my life for your cause? Show me where I can, and then simply do it. It sounds very simple, and I really think it is. God, where is it that you want me to leverage my skills, my job, my stage of life, my free time, whatever, Lord, it may be, my role as a parent, as a grandparent, as a church member? How, Lord, can I leverage my life and what you've given me for your cause? And then when God shows you, Let's pray together. Lord, make us a people who every day are just getting started. Who every day leverage our lives for the cause of Christ. God, make us parents and grandparents and friends and neighbors and graduates and young people and a church about just that leveraging our lives for the cause of Christ. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in going to the cross for our sins. We know, Lord, without you, we are nothing. 
So God, may we, as a response to your grace, and after having received your salvation, may we leverage our lives for your cause. We pray in Jesus' name.